you know, I'll never forget just like being in the room for the first kind of read through of the Mission Impossible movie. I didn't even know what meeting I was really going to other than that, like it was going to be the whole production staff, you know, the cast, the writers, JJ and Brad Bird. And we were going to read through the script and we were going to go through it. It was like a production meeting for kind of early prep. It was held in the Paramount restaurant. And it was just like an incredible experience. You know, it's the biggest movie I worked on. It's a hundred million dollar film. And just being in that presence and be like, wow, like this is what it's all about. And just sharing that experience of, again, being in the same room with your heroes, having that interaction, having that creative input is invaluable. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in TV, film, commercials, and off-Broadway. And every week I bring you an incredible mentor in entertainment, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening and let the episode begin. Happy Mentor Monday. Welcome to the final episode of season two of Mentors on the Mic podcast. Thank you for coming on this incredible ride with me from Emmy award-winning casting directors to Grammy-winning producers to incredible showrunners and TV creators like Mark A. Altman of CW's Pandora and Marta Kaufman of Friends and Grace and Frankie. It's been so wonderful meeting these people and getting your incredible feedback. I love seeing all of your messages and comments and reviews. So thank you. Thank you for creating this tribe of mentors with me. I am so grateful for this final mentor who is absolutely incredible, Andrew Kaloff. Andrew is currently the president of production and development at Wayfarer Studios, an incredible film and TV studio founded by Steve Sarowitz and Jane the Virgin star and author Justin Baldoni, who directed the company's first feature film, Clouds, on Disney+, Plus. available now. Andrew has also worked at Amblin Partners, Steven Spielberg's company, New Regency Productions, and Paramount Pictures. In this episode, we discuss how he got his start in entertainment and how incredible it was to work on such films as Birdman, 12 Years a Slave, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Ghost in the Shell, Office Christmas Party, and more. He gives incredible advice for those wishing to get to where he is, how to stand out in production, and how mentors helped him throughout his career. Before we go into the interview, I put out a free checklist on how to feel completely prepared for any on-camera event. Uh, Some of you might know I work as a communications coach. I do corporate workshops. I work with private clients all the time, from CEOs to filmmakers to doctors and nurses. And I've put all of that information together in a checklist that I give to my clients. I also teach this stuff at various summits and festivals. So whether you're recording yourself or going live for an interview or presentation, use this checklist to feel technically, mentally, and physically prepared. It's a free download available on my Instagram bio at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic. I am also starting a three-week public speaking in the virtual space class this week. So message me for more info to see if there's still a spot available. And if it's right for you, I'll give you 15% off if you tell me the code mentors on the mic 15. Without further ado, welcome Andrew Kaloff. 
Welcome, Andrew. And I always like to start off the podcast with what was your first role in the entertainment industry? My first role in the entertainment industry, I was the lowest on the totem pole. I was a PA, like a lot of people starting on an independent movie, you know, driving stuff around, just being as helpful as possible, you know, on a million dollar budget independent film. Wasn't getting paid. I was basically an intern, you know, kind of had to pay my dues if a if, if hundred blank pages need to be copied or coffee need to be fetched, that kind of fell in my lap to do. So, you know, it was an amazing learning experience and just kind of getting, you know, as much exposure to the process that I could, you know, from that kind of vantage point. And so how did you get that first PA job? I don't know if this even exists anymore, but basically I would scour the internet every day. And I believe there were some sites like mandy.com or, yep, those, you know, there was exists. a the UTA job list, I believe it was on Mandy and I was just scouring it, saw PA needed for independent movie and, you know, just kind of went online, applied for the gig and they saw something in me and there I was being hired to, you know, be a PA. Yes. Awesome. Great. And so people often start out as PAs in the business and then they're not always able to sort of figure out that next step. How do you become, do you just become a PA for multiple different projects? Do you figure out how to move up? What was your next thing after that first initial gig? Well, I'm, you know, it's a unique experience. and I think it's kind of interesting to add just color in the sense that like I was naive as they came, you know, just like moving out here, not really understanding how it worked. PA is usually right. The kind of the first thing a lot of people in entertainment talk about in terms of a place to start. So, you know, it gave me exposure and, you know, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. You know, I didn't, I didn't really understand the process of, of making something and realizing that you were standing around all day, kind of reacting to whatever was told of you to do. So I knew that I definitely wanted to be more involved, more hands-on, more in the thick of it. And so I didn't really realize that like standing around all day, in between shots, setups, things like that was how slow things really moved. So, you know, I knew that I really wanted to kind of work with my heroes. And what I mean by that is just writers, directors, people that I admired, films that I'd seen, TV shows that I'd seen. And I was trying to figure out, well, how do I get closer to that? So, you know, I learned about what development was and learned about kind of just the agency versus producerial versus writer versus director. And I'm just a lover of storytelling. So I knew that I wanted to be as close to that process as possible in terms of kind of the development of a story into a script that then becomes a film uh, or TV show. So, you know, just started networking as, as best I could, yeah. putting myself in situations where I could meet people and it would hopefully lead to something. So I was fortunate. And I tell the story a lot. Just I moved to Hollywood, you know, lived on Burton Way, had a roommate along with my girlfriend, who's now my wife of 16 years. And, you know, people are coming and going and friends are being made. And I met somebody, coincidentally, who was just at our place hanging out one day. Two weeks later, I saw that same person kind of out and about, you know, at a party at a, at a restaurant and, you know, just started striking up a chord with them in terms of, you know, opportunities and things like that. Like that. And I'm not ashamed to say, cause I'm incredibly grateful. He ended up being Todd Phillips producing partner. His name's Scott Budnick. Right. He ran Todd's company for many, many years, very successful producer, entrepreneur, activist, kind of told me about an opportunity that was actually way down the road, but I needed to really kind of find a job then and there. So we kept in touch, you know, over the course of a couple months and 
Strangely, to make a long story short, scouring the UTA job list every day, looking for opportunities, I noticed his email address next to a, a specific job. And I'm like, oh, I know that guy. So I reached out, went through the process of interviewing and all that, and eventually being offered the gig. And you know, then I was in the door and just incredibly grateful to have that opportunity to really kind of now start learning the business from the ground up, you know, at that real kind of assistant development level. And I was in. It was the most exciting time ever because it was around the time old school was coming out. Mm. Todd Phillips was, you know, that household name in terms of becoming that comedy director and just really, and the company was brand new. And like, it just was the right moment at the right time of building a slate, different projects they were going to produce that Todd was going to direct. And they were prepping the film Starsky and Hutch. I got to see kind of that process take shape and be involved. So, you know, all it takes is one opportunity. But then again, you know, it came from a relationship that I'd had prior that I kept, you know, warm and, and you know, eventually became great friends and just got in. And it was a very exciting time. We were sharing office space with Lawrence Bender and Quentin Tarantino over on Beverly yes. Boulevard. Famous producer Bobby Cohn was producing films for Miramax over my shoulder. Project Greenlight was being shot like right oh. in front of me every day. So it just, I was in the whirlwind of it all. And, you know, I couldn't have asked for kind of a better first gig, like a real gig that, you know, just gave me a lot of exposure and friendships and relationships that, you know, I still, I think have today. Yeah. Yeah. Prior to that, though, did you have a strong idea that you wanted to get into development or was it kind of one of those things where this job happened and it turns out you really enjoyed it? Because, you know, I'm always curious, is, is you, like you said, there's so many avenues to go in, in this industry. Why that one? Yeah, of course. I mean, again, it just goes back to, I mean, originally I was a technical person. I love cameras. I love the cinematography of a film or, or a show. And I originally thought I kind of wanted to go down that path. And that path to me, look, you need to be incredibly talented. You need to be incredibly talented at whatever you do. Right. But I was enamored with stories. You know, I was enamored with characters and stories and making people feel something. And that feeling that you get when you see a good TV show or you see, you know, a good film. Mm. So I kind of fell into it, but I realized that that was ultimately, you know, putting me right smack dab in the center of things. And, you know, look, this was... 18 plus years ago now, and the business has changed, you know, immensely since then. Yeah. There I was kind of prime time, Hollywood studio system, first look deal, hot director, hot production company. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. You know, this is, we're getting access to all this material. We're meeting all these different people. So again, I, it, it does go back to just having, being a fan of a film and directors and the creative people who really kind of you can align yourself with and collaborate with and go on that journey together, you know, from the very beginning to, you know, all the way to the end. And that to me was really exciting, you know, and that that's very fulfilling when you work on something from inception, yeah. you know, to, to the end. So I really fell into it with open eyes and it, it ended up being kind of the right move for me at the right moment. Amazing. So how long were you at Todd Phillips before I think your next thing was at Dimension Film, right? Yeah. I mean, again, I, I was there, I was there for about a year. I was naive as they came. I think I said that earlier. And, yeah. you know, I, I just didn't understand kind of the ups and downs, not that there were any downs, but just like, if you want to continue growing, you need to be in a position or a reason to be to grow. Mm. And it was still very early days, you know, at the company and, you know, 
it's great to have executives on your staff, but you need to make sure that you have enough going on to have a reason for promoting different executives right. and people at your company. So we were a small group. I mean, we were like a total of four at the time. Wow. Um, it's very small. And yeah. And, you know, look, I, I thought I'd worked there forever. You know, little did I know that people move around, shift, shake out this, that looked so, you know, I was very fortunate again to like, just have a relationship with Dimension an opportunity to become available to work for the president of production at Dimension Films. Mm. You know, I was scared to even leave Todd Phillips' company and, you know, let Scott and Todd know that I had this opportunity. And they were like, no, you have to go after this. This is like the right next move for you. It's going to give you so much exposure and all those things. So, you know, there was, I interviewed for the gig. I was hired in the, hired in the room, front row seats. Yeah, it was incredible. You know, I'm grateful. And, you know, I'll probably talk a little bit about Brad in this as well, but I, I owe, you know, a lot to Brad. I owe plenty to Scott as well, just for believing in me and giving me the opportunity to, you know, go to that next level, learn more, start doing the job that I kind of always wanted to do, yeah. which is be more creative and involved and be involved with projects. So yeah, I went to work at Dimension Films for the co-president, Brad Weston. It was an incredible experience and what was different um, about yeah. your responsibilities there? Were you able, I mean, you said you you were able to be there more creatively involved. How how did that manifest? I mean, I think it's just more and more responsibility in the sense of trust and the people you're interacting with around town at, you know, it was an incredible high level at, at, at Todd Phillips' company, but even more access now because you're working at a studio, there's, there's a variety of different projects in different shape and form. And just being kind of more of that liaison between, you know, the films that were getting made, the agents and managers whose clients, you know, were, were writing or directing projects. And just there was a lot more sensitive material, I think, mm-hmm. and just information that I had access to that I was empowered and trusted with taking care of. And, you know, it's, it's kind of it makes the, it definitely that confidence is instilled in with you when you're kind of like working at the highest level. You're kind of the front lines, you know, and having access and your privy to information that you might not be getting when you're working at the producer level as opposed to the studio level. So, you know, definitely more reading, definitely more note taking discussion about the creative process. And it was good. And you were there for quite some time in comparison, right? To the one year at Todd Phillips. No, I was actually there for, I mean, if I do the math about the same amount of time, you know, it was a really interesting time in the sense that this was, the time in the business where Disney and Miramax kind of split up. The Weinstein company was formed about a year and changed later from when I joined Dimension. So there was a lot of change happening in the business and kind of the, the future was very uncertain in the sense of like, what would be the next move? So, you know, when, when these things happen, the phone stops ringing because people see that you're kind of out of business in a way because your dimension Miramax is going to change. Right. And that's a kind of a, it was a scary thing, you know, just like, well, what's my next move? What, what, what's going to happen? Where am I going to go? Am I going to be taken care of? Am I going to find the next thing? And again, just like that trust and that relationship I had with my boss was just, you know, it's, it, there's a loyalty there. And I'm grateful that, you know, when, Brad got that big job at Paramount that there was no question that I was going to come with him there. And now, you know, be at a whole new level, right. of number of movies, responsibility, big studio system. This isn't just, you know, call it three, four movies a year. This is like 
10 movies a year mm. now that will be happening. And so again, just like, I'm a firm believer that you got to put yourself in a position to really be successful. You know, each step you take, you want to master that, that job, but make sure that it can potentially lead to more responsibility, more involvement, you know? So I was learning how to do things to eventually get to a place where I had more responsibility and more involvement and hopefully it was going to lead to eventually becoming like a true executive, you know? Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I love the process and seeing it happen, you know, from development of a script an idea, buying different projects in terms of whatever shape and form they're in to, well, it's my turn now to, you know, hopefully be the one who is driving that on a day to day and having that interaction with the talent, the managers, the agents, the producers around town, that would, you know, entrust and empower me to kind of, you know, spearhead their project, fight for it, try and get it made. So, but that didn't come for another two years, right. you know, after we got to Paramount, but. And did you start again, as director of creative affairs at Paramount or did you start with something else and move into that position? I came over as an assistant, you know, at the same level, but more responsibility again now, just right. with more access and just a bigger monster of a place in terms of just yeah. volume and the price point of films was continuing to go up as opposed yeah. to where it was at Dimension. So, you know, I was starting to really show that I wanted to do the next thing. You know, I wanted to be a creative executive. I wanted to be even more hands-on. So when projects came in, I was writing notes on them. I was searching and trying to find new directors and talent that could be great for the, for the studio to work with. You know, I was trying to read and consume and more importantly, just kind of expand my network of, colleagues in the business so that I have these agent friends and I have these other studio friends and I have these producer friends or young manager friends. So I started to kind of do the job that you would, that I ultimately wanted to do, but at the same time have to take care of, you know, the administrative day-to-day -day of just being the support to, you know, the co-president of production at the studio. Right. So let me just clarify, because I think what you said, something really stuck out to me. So I just want to make sure I, I heard it correctly. So you're saying that in addition to the responsibilities that you had as the assistant at the time, you also took upon yourself to take on more responsibility for the job that you really wanted. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and look, I'm, I was ambitious. I still am, you know, and there's a fine line, you know, I'm a believer that you got to take care of your job, your core job, day-to-day -day stuff. And once you've mastered that, then you can really start to kind of reach out. I think I have a way of carrying myself that has gotten me to this position now where, where I'm at currently. Yeah. And, you know, I just try to try and do it with grace and dignity and not overreach, but have that kind of compassion, quiet, collective compassion for the next thing that I want to do. And it's good to be aggressive, but I think overly aggressive sometimes can bite you. Yeah. But I started doing the point is I started doing those things very gracefully and subtly and with respect and, yeah. and, and not trying to get, a, get in the way of other executives, right. you know, who were doing stuff whose main job, whose job was to do those things. So I just wanted to help and be valuable and lend a hand where I could, um, when I could. And I think that's really important, you know, just to start reaching, do it gracefully, always kind of raise your hand, be the first person to kind of throw your hat in the ring to take on extra responsibility, right. you know, show that you want to do it, show that desire, that, that, that kind of fire in you, but be respectful, you right. know, in how you do it. Do you notice and appreciate that when you see that now that you are on the other side, do you see that with people who are trying to like ambitious 
younger people who are trying to get to where you are and trying to be an executive as well. Do you notice and appreciate that in others? I do, you know, and it's important to have that quality in you and, and show that you want to, you know, kind of go above and beyond. And it's great, you know, that I have a staff and that I was recently able to promote my assistant to executive and, you know, just seeing her, you know, gracefully ask to do things, you know, to lend a hand, to be that support, you know, it goes a long way and she does it with a smile and she, you know, she knows that if she does it well, that she's going to get rewarded for it. And I'm a, I'm a believer in rewarding and teaching and helping mentor. So lovely. It's great. Yeah. Considering this, the name of the podcast is men. Mike, you know, I have an affinity for that. So I love that. Um, Mm -hmm. So at Paramount specifically there, you know, obviously you're talking about the, the, bigger budgets, bigger films. I know you worked on or was involved in the development of Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, World War Z, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Rango. What were what was something that you took away from that? Or is there a story you can tell us about your experience there in any one of those projects? Yeah, I mean, they, there's all so many, but I was just, I was really fortunate to work on some big studio projects, you know, and it doesn't matter if it's a $5 million movie, a $1 million movie, a $100 million movie, you know, they all have their challenges. They're all monsters. They all require the same amount of effort. And I really did want to work on a big franchise movie because, you know, that was one of the main reasons why I want to get into business in the first place, because mm-hmm. of that kind of eventized summer blockbuster, you know, work closely with talent and just be involved as closely as I can with these projects. The good news is I had a good reputation and I was kind of one of the more senior director level executives and had had a lot of experience just working on some lesser, you know, budgeted films. And because I was able to really kind of do the job and had that experience, there was that trust, you know, to really kind of put me on these, these bigger films. I'll never forget just like being in the room for the first kind of read through of the Mission Impossible movie. I didn't even know what meeting I was really going to other than that, like it was going to be the whole production staff, you know, the cast, the writers, JJ and Brad Bird. And just like, we're going to read through the script and we were going to go through it It as like a production meeting for kind of early prep. It was held in the Paramount restaurant. And it was just like an incredible experience, you know, just being you know, it's the biggest movie I worked on. It's a hundred million plus Same. dollar film. And just being in that presence and be like, wow, like this is what it's all about. And just sharing that experience of, again, being in the same room with your heroes, having that interaction, having that creative input is invaluable. And it's just funny to see then how much from that first read through, like the story and characters began to kind of evolve and change and what right. was ultimately put on out on the screen, I think is definitely the best version of the movie. Good. But it's just interesting just how things evolve and change and you're always looking for the best idea and was very fortunate to be involved and and there for that. Yeah. I think it's important now. I mean, we've talked about it in a couple different episodes, but I do think there's a lot of misconceptions that come with the title like executive. So I just kind of wanted to ask you if you, if you A, wanted to just talk a little bit about the roles and responsibilities of a typical executive, especially in development specifically, any misconceptions you've heard of, we could just kind of just take care of that for the audience right now. No, of course. I mean, look, I was a, I was a director level executive, you know, I did have my own projects that I was hunting down, chasing, you know, finding the script, trying to get it optioned or bought for the studio, you know, on these bigger movies, you know, not a shame to say, like I was more of the number two support on the film. There was usually a vice president or a senior vice president also on 
these films with me. And it was a lot of doing the notes, working directly with writers, managing kind of expectations with producers and agents and things like that. And, you know, working on the production plan with physical production. There was a lot of dailies involved in terms of curating select lists and curating kind of the... Which for people the, don't the know, week. dailies is when you watch back stuff, right? Yeah, dailies. And I was kind of... I was kind of great at them. It's it's an really? interesting kind of skill that I had, which is strange just because there was a certain thing that I brought kind of that filmmaker skill of cutting together dailies each week that would be shared with, you know, the executives at Paramount. And we would put black in between each daily, but actually kind of string them together. So you're actually kind of watching a scene of the film come together. And I would pick music every week and kind of make it cinematic and fun. And, and it just, again, like this was taking nothing away from the filmmakers, but like starting to get the studio excited beyond just seeing a rough take of the scene and kind of curating something that was now bringing the film alive in a way. Good at it. it with music. It is different if you see it done and edited in a way where even if you're just watching dailies, essentially, even if you're just watching, you know, the footage of what people shot, you're, you're putting it together in a way that's going above and beyond. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it just, it gives just more of a flavor and seeing it, there's a process, right? You know, there's, there's a script phase, there's a production phase, there's a post-production phase. And I was giving everyone at the studio, you know, a little kind of look inside of how the movie could potentially start looking and feeling. And, you know, it actually helped, I think a lot, just in the sense of like, oh, I didn't really look at it that way. And wow, we're really excited about what's coming together. We haven't seen a cut of the film yet, but like, this is one of our executives doing it. And like, you know, there's some talent there, but like, and the filmmaker is <laughs> going to even make it, right. you know, what it is. Again, it's now. just like, whatever could help the process along was something that um, they were looking to me to kind of, kind of do. So I had a lot of fun doing it. And what about the balance between sort of creatively, like as a, like as an executive, especially one that's on set or watching dailies, essentially, how do you balance that between, I don't want to get too super involved with what the director is doing or the filmmaker is doing, but at the same time, I have notes that I need to communicate or, you know, there's all this, this sort of battle, if you will, sometimes it's a balance between the executives and uh, the creative team on set. So how do you balance that? You know, it's just a relationship that starts very early on and an honesty, you know, and a truthfulness, really kind of having to understand the creative vision as soon as possible and trying to get on the same page in terms of how they see the movie versus how we see the movie. And, you know, look, they're the curator They're It's a collective process of, of making a film or a show. There's many people involved. And I think giving your opinion respectfully and, you know, it, I think it's, it's, you have to be very careful in the sense that right. it's not like it, it has to be this way. You're the filmmaker, but consider this. Here's how I'm approaching it. Here's kind of my point of view as a, you know, at the time, you know, like a 28 year old male in the, in the business and what I was gravitating towards and what I was responding to emotionally, you know, with these stories and characters. So you try and make an argument for why your note is valid and you should be sensitive and have a heart and a soul as to how you do it. I think that's incredibly important. And I think as long as you have that relationship that's there and open, good things can come from it. And look, no one sets out to make a bad movie. Like, right. Of course, no one ever sets out to make a bad movie. You're trying to make the best version of it. 
And, you know, there's a way to get to that. And I think filmmakers who are open to thoughts and, and can kind of process and take in all that are some of the best to work with. You know, we just, we, we, do, we do our best, you know, and, and I, I'm a probably, firm believer in being sensitive. And you probably factor that in as much as possible into in to choosing new talent to work with because you want to be able to be like, okay, am I going to have that relationship with them down the line when things are super stressful? There's a lot going on. Are we yeah. going to have open communication or is this going to be difficult? So. Yeah. It's, you know, you find out who you really are when, it, when those tough conversations come up and, yeah. you know, you, know, you want to do what's best for the movie. Right. You want to do what's best for the movie at the end of the day. And, you know, there's different ways to get there. But I think as long as there's an openness and an honesty and like a shorthand, and a real understanding of the material and the director's point of view, you, know, you can ultimately get there. And, you know, it's, it's really early on when they're saying one thing and you're saying another, that that's where, that's where the problems usually arise. So you got to be on the same page from the very beginning if it's going to work. Excellent. So I'm learning so much. I probably should keep going with, with your trajectory here. So we're now at VP production of New Regency Productions, which is huge. You've worked on Oscar-winning films like Birdman and 12 Years a Slave, right? Yep. So how was that? How was that transition to New Regency? What was that like? And then what changed within your roles and responsibilities for, for that particular place? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I was looking for a new challenge, you know, and studio was changing. And I mean, to be honest, my heart has always been, you know, drawn to those real, yeah, I guess it's just another part of me. I still love blockbusters and I still love big summer event movies but I wanted to try something different and go kind of more curated, more specialty in that sense. And it linked me back around to Brad Weston, who was again, my mentor at Dimension and also Paramount. And again, just in terms of wanting more responsibility, wanting to be more on the front lines and work on some really special projects, it felt like the next right move for me. You know, I got to get a promotion. I was a vice president. Now I was, you know, on the front lines of leading the charge on these films. We were, trying to recreate, you know, that Academy Award level, really kind of elevated specialty movie, but very commercial. Right. And, you know, there was just this draw to be a very talent friendly, filmmaker friendly place. And New Regency had always kind of had that reputation in terms of the movies that they've made over the years. So the timing couldn't have been better. Couldn't have been better. We had a relationship with Plan B from when we were at Paramount. So it was a really good kind of opportunity for us to get projects from them that we could make and finance at New Regency. So it just kind of came this perfect storm. Filmmakers really wanted to, we were going to give them their shot. We were going to, you know, make the movies that other studios weren't making at the time. So it was incredible. It was just like lightning in a bottle for those years of of being there. And must've been very exciting. Yeah. I mean, 12 years a slave walking in the door to Birdman to the Revenant, you know, to, you know, Darren Aronofsky's Noah. It was just, it was, it was an incredible time. So what can you share with us? And obviously this is an odd question. I know that, but what can you share with us that you, you maybe noticed about producing and developing an Oscar winning film? Because that's a particular category in and of itself. Not all films can be even in that category, let alone win um, at the Oscars. Is there anything that you took away that you could share with us as to what goes into that sort of film that you maybe saw, you know, was carried through all of those films or just something that you guys aimed for or tried to achieve in producing any sort of any picture? I mean, I think we were definitely taking risks, bold, 
calculated risks. You know, I think these stories were incredibly compelling. They were definitely, I think, more left of center ideas in terms of like their hook and their commercial their commerciality in a way. They were still very commercial, but they had a real point of view to how those stories were going to be told. And they were really taking on bold subject matter and really kind of going for it in terms of like the filmmaking process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it starts with the script. It's different. It's unique. It has an interesting hook. It's something you haven't seen before. So I think that kind of definitely played in that we were doing something different, you know, yeah. than other places around town. And we kind of became that home and that magnet for that kind of talent who was really going to be propped up and supported in a way that they could really have their films supported, which is, I think, what we, I really kind of prided, prided ourselves on in terms of what we were doing. Yeah. And I think that's so important because the more I'm talking to different people in the industry, the more I'm really noticing how each, and we're going to talk about later with Wayfair, but just, you know, every production company, every studio does have a certain voice, a certain type of film that they'd like to put out there, whether it's something as simple as we're trying to take risks, we're going to be that place that people turn to when, you know, there's something left of center, et cetera. That in and of itself is something to look at because as, as someone, anyone trying to pitch their stuff, which I might ask you about a little bit later, your advice on pitching, I think to myself, well, you want to find the right home for it. It's mm-hmm. not always just because you are connected to one place or you find this place and you're like, I love their films. It still might not be the home for the story that you're trying to tell. So. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look, each entertainment company around town has a certain brand, you know, right. they do this kind of film or that kind of TV show, you know, and you kind of have to look at each brand and, and does your story, you know, and characters kind of, can, is that, can that place support it in the way that you hope to be supported? And like, what is a new Regency film versus a Paramount film versus a Disney film versus exactly. a Netflix film, you know, and the good news is, I think, you know, there's never been more opportunities right. for creative people to find the right home, you know, for a particular project, you Absolutely. know, with just what's happening on streaming right now versus, you know, the big studio theatrical films to, you know, what is an HBO show versus an FX show, exactly. you know, where does comedy exist and all of that. So I think brand identity is really, really important. Right. Um, but with all of that, you know, all of those options, like you said, there is such a benefit because there's never been a time like this, but there's so many places to potentially pitch. At the same time, it's important for anyone to do their research and go, this might not be the right place for me. This is really where I want to aim for and knowing the difference. Because like you said, there's so many places that you can try to find a home for it, but you really want to be strategic in how you, you find the different places. Yeah, of course. All right. So the next place was Amblin, which if people don't know, is Steven Spielberg's company. There's many different divisions. There's uh, Amblin Entertainment. There's uh, what else in Amblin Partners? There's Amblin Television. There's there's DreamWorks, obviously, Participant Media. So there's different divisions. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement with Amblin Partners? Yeah, of course. I mean, let me first say like, you know, the dream had always been to kind of arrive and work for your hero. And it was, you know, it was an incredible experience having that opportunity. And I feel like I, you know, carved myself, you know, on the wall there and, you know, put my imprint. So look, I grew up on these, on these stories, you know, and was very kind of motivated from a very young age that those were the types of stories and characters that really moved me. So, you know, to work at Amblin was definitely a dream come true because I always really kind of admired the boy at the center of a great journey and people, characters kind of at thresholds or universal moments in their life 
but really kind of being explored on kind of the biggest canvas behind, you know, a science fiction idea or a horror idea or just a great period type, you know, story, you know, where you could really relate to those characters, but experience it kind of on the biggest platform, you know, right in the middle of World War II or traveling back in time. Those were things that always really got me excited and could suspend that disbelief and relish in those experiences. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to really be involved with those kinds of projects and stories. Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask, was there a particular story that stood out? Was there something specific that you were like, Michelle, don't get me wrong. Everything was amazing, but this particular one really stands out. I mean, just, you know, look, I, my favorite movie is Back to the Future. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, that, that was just one that I'd always, you know, drew me into the film industry in the first place. And, you know, it, it's about a boy the center of a great journey. So, you know, it was incredible working on Ghost in the Shell and Office Christmas Party and yep. uh, a film that's going to come out at, App- in, at Apple this year that Tom Hanks is starring in, as well as, you know, a film that came out last fall called Come Play. You know, it was an incredible experience kind of building that movie from the ground up with friends of mine. Strangely, you know, the producers of that film were executives at Dimension, you know, years before. And just it felt like a really good shorthand, you know, for them to bring us a project, particularly when we were looking for, you know, low budget, Amblin-esque films, because, you know, if A Quiet Place is working or a Jason Blum movie is working, where is the Amblin, you know, kind of going back to the coffer of what was done so well, you know, in the eighties of making these movies at a price that still looked great and had great characters and a great experience, but how could we do that and emulate that for today? So, you know, I really enjoyed working on that film, working with kids, doing something different in kind of the, the horror space that hadn't been seen in a long time, which was a very kind of sensitive, emotional experience as opposed to just horror for horror's sake. Ghost in the Shell, working, which one? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. This is the film Come Play. Oh. And just working with a first-time filmmaker who was very yeah. sensitive and just like so caring and, and and trusting and, you know, to be kind of the, you know, that being the studio executive who, you know, was right there with them, making it with one with the producers was just an incredible experience. I mean, Ghost in the Shell was, was amazing. And I am so grateful that I got to work on this big budget, you know, female kick-ass character you know, science fiction film. And I loved every minute of it from just like trying to solve problems, you know, and enhance the film, you know, all along the way as we were in the middle of production and and really sitting there in the editing room with, you know, the team and just, again, trying to get to what's the best version of this movie. And, you know, that experience was incredibly exciting. So a lot of great experiences at Amlin and to work alongside, you know, all the executives there, including Steven, you know, who was just my hero and seen him access and yeah, figure out a way to tell the best version of the story and the notes that he gave and just kind of the mentorship he gave to filmmakers was just unparalleled. And it's a rare thing to, to have that kind of dynamic at a company. It was a very familial, family-oriented place as opposed to kind of getting lost in the big corporateness that can be some of these studios that 
that I've worked at, worked at in the past. Great. Uh, well, I just had two quick questions about Amblin, actually. So first was, well, regarding Ghost in the Shell, and I just wanted to ask quickly, it was very well received in so many ways from all over the world. But there was that controversy about Scarlett Johansson's casting. And I was curious your thoughts on it, because you were there from production, from, you know, initial development. You know, obviously the director stands by it, you know, and, and called her the best actor of her generation. So I was curious as to if you have any thoughts on that in particular, of just the controversy I mean, that came from it. I, I mean, I love Rupert. I love Scarlett. I'm yeah. grateful that, you know, we're all still friends. And I think, you know, we're really about backing filmmakers and the choices that, that they make. And yeah. that was, you know, always the the Amblin way and still is. And we were just trying to make the best version of the movie possible. And, yeah. you know, we're looking for the best actor to play the role that could really, you know, carry it, especially at that price point, you know, and that's what we committed to. And we, and we, and we wanted to do, and, you know, we, we, we stood by that. Love it. And then you also talked a couple of times, even in this answer about the Amblin way, what was the Amblin way? We talked a little bit about what new Regency was sort of about in their brand. What was the Amblin brand? I mean, we were, we're, we're very sensitive. I mean, what struck me when I was in college, when I was kind of like looking on, you know, the DreamWorks website, you know, and as we know, DreamWorks came from Steven and, and then eventually became Amblin and partners later was this very kind of filmmaker friendly, talent friendly place to work at, you know, working with creative people, really respecting that process. It's a rare thing, you know, and I was just really happy to be a part of that because it's, it's run by a filmmaker, which is there's, there's, there isn't a studio in town that, that has that unique setup that actually has the funds to, you know, really support and prop up the talented people. So that was just a breath of fresh air. Not that it wasn't elsewhere, but like it was a motto and kind of like, you know, really involved in the ethos of the company, which is a rare thing. And just to see that respect is, it was, it was awesome to be a part of. And you were up, you were there up until last year, correct? So it's, it's a recent change, right? And now we're at Wayfair. So fantastic. <laughs> we love Wayfair, obviously. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition, one? And then two, can you talk a little bit about the Wayfair brand? What you what are you looking for right now in terms of new projects? What are you looking to develop? I Again, like I had, I've been at the company almost five years and, you know, I was ready to kind of take on a bigger role. And I wanted to kind of be more of the curator, more of the kind of ultimate decision maker. It was my time, you know, I, yeah. I, I had put in my, my time and worked on a lot of different projects and I wanted more responsibility and, and, and more on my shoulders and be the true picker of a, of a studio, of an entertainment company. And Wayfair, strangely, not strangely, but just like I was great introduced time. to Wayfair. Yeah. Yeah. Great time. Great moment. I mean, this all happened during the pandemic, which, right, is, kind which is kind of nuts. Totally crazy. But, you know, as I started really kind of doing my homework about Justin Ben Baldoni and, and Steve Sarewitz, I was like, wow, like here are the most gracious people, kind hearted, who want to, are on a mission to really kind of change the world, you know, yeah. and do it with grace and do it with love and really kind of combat all the things that are wrong with our world, but doing them through storytelling, doing them commercially, mm. but underneath there's a, a TV show or a movie that, or a podcast or, or, or whatnot, that is really about something, you know, it's really about this, but it's commercial. They're going to see it. People's hearts are going to be changed. So this opportunity came about. I was thrilled that I was going to be president of production 
and development of the company. I was going to be able to form a team. I was going to be able to build a slate from the ground up Yeah. for people who really, again, just like they have the means and, you know, we're going to entrust me to do that. And that was incredibly, it is incredibly exciting and terrifying all at the same time, <laughs> but it was time to like, kind of like, I think really roll the dice and even go a step further to what really kind of matters to me and telling these stories that are even more personal to me and to get that opportunity is incredible. So it was kind of a no brainer decision. We're having a ton of fun doing it thus far. Yeah. And I mean, look, wait there. Yeah. It's been a crazy year. I think there were maybe seven, eight projects on the slate when I joined. I mean, there's close to 30 projects now. I mean, that's Um, incredible. It's crazy. And you know, it's like, we have so much, we have so much to be proud of in the last 10 months, 11 months, whatever it's been. And now we're finally moving into production, you know, right. on, on things, working closely again with people who I admire, who I want to see succeed. And that's, you know, the ethos of our company. We really want to prop up and support talent. And, you know, this company was formed to do exactly that, you know, and cut through it and kind of break the the natural studio mode that has been in place for such a long time of just here's the process to get to the green light to go make something. Mm. And at Wayfair, it's very simple. It's like, if we love it and we can get it to a place where we all feel confident and it's, it's, it's worth making, we're going to go do it, you know? And it's a different thing for me having really kind of grown up in the studio system where I pretty much knew Mm. exactly where a film was going to come out or a TV show was going to air. And here at Wayfair, like we believe if it's good and of a certain quality, and should I say the highest quality, people are going to see it. People are going to react to it. It's going to be successful because our mm-hmm. hearts are in it, which is a completely different kind of plan than, than I've ever been involved with right. before. So it's like, we're willing to take risks if we believe in it and feel it can make an impact. And again, yeah. like that's really what Wayfair is all about. It's like, how can we make an impact on the world in a positive way? Mm-hmm. How can we come together to really bring humanity together to change people's hearts to tell stories from all walks of life to be diverse to be disruptive to really kind of give a snapshot of what the world looks like and how we should represent it and these are things that we're fighting for every day we're we're a company that really kind of combats against all the isms of the world you know racism sexism nationalism social inequality tolerance you know trauma mental illness you know all these things but how can we talk about those things in a really entertaining commercial way. So I'm really proud of our slate thus far. It's looking you know, great. Every, those... I feel like deadline is consistently just putting <laughs> out new stuff with you guys and what you're working on. Yeah. Deadline's very good to us. And, you know, there's a lot on the horizon that, you know, we're, we're over the moon about and getting ready to, you know, push the button on. So it's going to be a really exciting year ahead yes. for the company. I, just to sort of end with a couple of questions we always ask, and we kind of already spoke about both, to be honest, but we always end the podcast with who are your mentors? So you've already talked a little bit about Brad and Scott, but if you wanted to talk a little bit more about them or anyone else that was considered a mentor for you, who would that be? Other mentors in the business who I've looked up to. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Holly Barrio at Amblin Entertainment, as well as Jeb Brody, you know, they're great people down to earth, salt to the earth, which is a rare thing. I mean, Stephen is an incredible mentor. Yeah. I mean, every filmmaker I've worked with, Steve McQueen, you know, can't say enough good mm. things about him and Alejandro Rupert Sanders. I mean, I feel like I'm letting, I'm probably letting some people down. I don't mention them, but open ended question. It, so. <laughs> but 
yeah, I mean, just I'm grateful for every opportunity I've had. And along the way, I've been, I've been, I've been lucky to work for really good people, which is a rare yeah, thing. Absolutely. It sounds like, I mean, yeah. most of the people you named sound like absolute gems, exactly people uh, would want to work with. Just, they sound incredible. What is your definition of success? What comes to mind kind of just off the cuff is like, you're successful if you can be proud of what you've done, you know, and you're successful if you've worked with great people along the way and really respected each other. Mm. And, you know, look, some things work, some things don't. It's not defined by like how much money you made at the box office, but I think you're successful when you make something of quality, yeah. you know, with, with good people and you can stand behind it and say, we did our best. We made something a plus mm. and we're proud of it. We're, we're, we're proud of the, what we've put forward and how it's really kind of affected people. And I think how audiences react is something I think that kind of defines success as well, because if they love it, then you should, then you've kind of done your job. You know, if it's affected somebody, if it's caused someone to kind of call their father or brother that they haven't spoken to or have, you know, amending a relationship, things like that, then I think you've been successful in what you've done because I believe, you know, the whole idea behind storytelling is to move people, get people to feel something. How can we affect change? How can we make an impact? How can we bring people together? And storytelling, I think, is just one of the greatest tools to do that. I agree 100%. I just so appreciate uh, you being on the podcast. So thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm glad I got to do it. And, you know, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend in entertainment you know would love it. Let me know what you've learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at Mentors on the Mic. I love reading your messages. Uh, you can also find me at, at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. On both accounts, I'll be sharing even more information about our mentors. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. It makes it easier for people to find our podcast, and I love reading your reviews. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.